The cell danger response is a proscribed, beautifully orchestrated biochemical dance that is engendered when a cell encounters a toxin or an infectious agent. Welcome to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast, where natural healthcare practitioners can hear innovative, cutting-edge information from leading experts from around the world. Welcome to Metagenics Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rose, and today with me from Northern California is Dr. Neil Nathan. Welcome, Dr. Nathan. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. How do you currently work, and what led you to this? Well, I mean, I started as a family physician, um, delivering babies, working in the emergency room, doing a little bit of surgery, doing the whole gamut of family practice. But I was particularly interested from the beginning in helping people who my colleagues didn't quite know what to do with. And so very early on, now we're talking the 70s, I began studying um, osteopathic manipulation, including cranial work, acupuncture, homeopathy, a variety of energy treatment techniques. And with each skill that I learned, I found that I was able to help my patients a lot better. Um, By the time we reached the mid-80s, I was um, running a pain unit uh, chronic for chronic pain patients in a hospital. And we began to see more patients with what was then called fibrositis that is now called fibromyalgia. And we didn't know what to do with those patients. Um, initially, many of my colleagues thought that it was a psychological condition. But as time evolved, it became clear that it was not a psychological condition, although it affected people in that way. And we began to learn more and more of the physiology of chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. As we learned more, we began to realize that many of those patients had Lyme disease, and most of those patients had been exposed to mold and had mold toxicity as well. So my practice evolved basically trying to work with the patients that my colleagues had kind of given up on and trying to help them get well. Thanks for joining us. Um, so I got you on online today to talk about a, an interesting concept that um, I've just started to get uh, familiar with. It's starting to become a bit more uh, recognised in functional medicine here in Australia. Is this uh, concept of the cell danger response? Now you're a, a physician practicing for many many years and have uh, unravelled a lot of these newer concepts about things like um, water damaged buildings and Lyme disease and fibromyalgia. And, and this sounds like a, a new piece of the puzzle. So there's a, look, a bit of academic understanding of it. Uh, I was really today hoping for a clinician's perspective of what it means and um, what we can do with it. And I believe you've done some research with um, the cell danger response and chronic fatigue and you know how you apply that into practice today. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but before we um, get into it, perhaps if you could just outline what the cell danger response is. Um, certainly, and if you don't mind a little historical background Absolutely. Of, how I, of how I got into it. Um, I can't remember who gave it to me, but I received an advanced pre-publication copy of a paper published in the journal mitochondrion by a doctor named uh, 
Robert Navio, who was at that time and still is a professor at the University of California in San Diego, who um, wrote this paper called The Cell Danger Response. I read that paper and was so blown away by its brilliance that I promptly called, wrote, and emailed Dr. Navio, hoping to talk to him about it in more detail and um, meet him and really discuss it. Um, he, he never responded to those, but fortunately, I had a fellow colleague who knew us and said, if you get emails and calls from uh, Dr. Nathan, he's for real, please take those calls. Bob eventually did. So I can honestly tell you I stalked him. <laughs> And until he agreed to meet with me, and I was going down to San Diego to lecture at an ILADS meeting, and so it seemed like an appropriate time to meet him because he lives there. And um, we met, we had lunch together. That lunch lasted for five hours. Wow. And um, we've been really, really good friends ever since. Um, because what I recognized in his paper was a, an incredible grasp of the entire picture of how the body, particularly on a cellular level, reacts to injury, toxins, and infection that allows us to understand what those cells are doing, and in the long run, will help us to understand how to repair that. And so that's just a short discussion of of how I ran into literally yeah, <laughs> um, Dr. Navio and began our relationship. Um, so for your listeners, the cell danger response is a proscribed, beautifully orchestrated biochemical dance that is engendered when a cell encounters a toxin or an infectious agent. And if, if for, for the sake of argument, we'll start with a virus. The first thing that happens when the cell encounters that is that the, the, the mitochondria, which are the, cell, the cell's organelles that are scrutinizing that cell's environment and working with it to make energy and other, other functions, the mitochondria recognize this intruder in the form of a drop of electrical potential within the cell. They react to that by immediately going into a protective stance, which leads to a series of events which Dr. Navio has beautifully described to us as this cell danger response. For example, um, one of the first things that the cell does is it shuts down its own metabolism so that it will be less affected by a virus, for example, that is attacking it. It shuts down methylation almost immediately. And um, many people have misunderstood this, thinking that, oh, um, you're very sick and you're not methylating. I need to fix that. But on a cellular level, that's not what's happening. The cell is intentionally mm -hmm. shutting down methylation to prevent that virus from hijacking the cell's own methylation chemistry 
to make more virus. The virus is merely a protein coat. It does not contain the enzymes it needs to replicate. So it needs to hijack from us the chemical components, and this is our cell's attempt to stop that. So if, as a therapeutic clinical effort, you go, ah, you're not methylating, I need to give you the materials to do that properly, you're actually not entering the clinical relationship at the place you need to. You're actually um, not allowing that cell and the whole body to react in an appropriate way to fight that invader. That is not saying that methylation is not important. It is. But you need to be clinically astute to figure out when is the right timing to do that. And, and I find that that's not something that's happening a lot in the um, functional medicine world mm. is that people recognize, ah, you have an imbalance. I need to fix that imbalance. Then you'll get well. But what the cell danger response teaches us is there's a timing of when you need to intervene and how. So I'm, I'm merely giving a few examples that the, the body shuts down histone metabolism. It changes tryptophan metabolism. It changes the, the, the microbiome. It changes our behavior so that when we're sick, exposed to a toxin, we sleep more. And, there, and Dr. Navio has laid out a whole series of events that, that that cell goes through in response to the mitochondrion's perception of danger. Fascinating. So really it's a deliberate effort to sort of almost like if it's an infection, quarantine off that cell and... Um, divert resources so that the cell does not um, continue to replicate with the virus perhaps or if there's an injury to try and repair that injury and one of the important things you said there is um, a lot of the maybe the biomarkers and areas we look at in functional medicine say the mood or the microbiome that could be like a bit of a consequence perhaps of the an, um, a deliberate uh, physiological process the body's going through in order to um, facilitate healing would that be a correct Correct. The body can't even begin to heal until it is certain that the danger is past. So the, the cell danger response theory, and it really has described beautifully what's happening in virtually all chronic illness, because chronic illness occurs when the danger has not passed and the cell continues to do these protective events because it's not convinced that it's safe. And in many cases, it's not. Right. Um, so, again, so if you were to have a virus and mobilize the body's immune system and fight that virus successfully, eventually the signals of safety would come back and the body would say, ah, that virus is gone. I don't need to do any work anymore. And now healing can occur. But if that virus for some reason persists, let's take mononucleosis, the Epstein-Barr virus. If that virus were to persist and the body knows it, you can't talk it out of feeling it's safe if it's not. Mm. If that virus continues to be present, all of the things it's doing to protect itself begin to accumulate and they go from being protective 
to being potentially destructive or non-protective, meaning we have created an, a chronic inflammatory state in order to protect ourselves, but we don't know how to turn it off. In fact, we can't turn it off because either that toxin or that infection is still present. The other interesting, or the, one of the interesting components of this, and um, I really appreciate your um, interpretation. I've, I've read several times uh, Navio's papers, and one of the things I find interesting is uh, it sounds like from him that, that necessarily the toxin or the infection may have cleared, yet the, the cell danger response is still persistent, meaning uh, there's like a, a cycle of phases that the cell danger response goes through, goes through that first initial immune inflammation stage and then if uh, it has like a checkpoint system as I understand if it satisfies that criteria it moves to the next stage of um, I think that's uh, proliferation for example if there's an injury you want to fill that that void of dead cells with um, new stem cells and then if it fulfills that criteria it goes on to finally the um, differentiation stage where those new cells become more specialized and become functional again and again finally that has a check um, fulfills that criteria of that phase then it finally becomes healthy again so sorry it's a long <laughs> it's a long run up for this question but um could it also be that these cell cycles are, are somehow stuck even though the, the actual initial initial like trigger or stimuli um is long gone yes and it not only can happen it does that's one of the essence of a chronic illness in which literally the body has gotten confused and the original trigger that set off the cell danger response may be gone, but the body does not recognize that. It's basically, you've got this car alarm going, eh, or, eh, or, eh, or, eh, or, and you can't turn it off. Even though whoever came near the car to set off that alarm is long gone. So you're absolutely right. That's the issue, which is, how do we turn off the danger signal so the body can move through its orchestrated healing cycle? And when do we do that? In other words, it isn't enough to understand that, okay, we've got to help the, the body and the cells understand that they are safe now, but are they ready for that? Because at a certain point, how do we know that it's really safe? For example, let's take a toxin. Let's say someone's been exposed to mold toxin. At what point has, has that left the body? And if we're treating it, how have we treated it effectively? Is that body ready to reboot? Is it ready to move through the next stages of the cycle? Or do we still have more work to do to get that toxin out? With Lyme disease, at what point is that body healthy enough that it can reboot itself or is it still um, needing to mobilize its immune system in order to do that fight? So the beauty of this model is it allows us to begin to think about where are we in this cycle and are we ready for these changes? Because Dr. Navio points out very clearly, and I think this is a really important point, that if you attempt to arbitrarily decide where you think that cell is and you initiate treatments at the wrong phase, they are likely to backfire and make the patients worse. And we do see this clinically a lot. 
fascinating. All right, well, let's explore those uh, those questions you threw out there about when do we treat and how do we know. Um, perhaps first, let's have a look at what's been published, um, including something you've been involved in. Firstly, um, let's have a look at autism, where Dr. Navio's um, done some research in administering a, a medication that um, works on the, the cell danger response for um, children affected with um, ASD. Can you give us a, a synopsis of what's happened there? Yes, Dr. Navio has done some amazing groundbreaking research in many fields, autism being one of them. Now, from his understanding of the cell danger response, one of the ways of getting away from this stuck place, one of his ways of helping the body to know that it's safe is to turn off a particular type of receptor called a purinergic receptor which the mitochondria are particularly important for. Once that receptor is quieted down, then we can move on the healing phase. Now, the only drug that we've got so far that can do that is a, is a drug called Suramin, S-U-R-A-M-I-N. But unfortunately, it is only available for the treatment of tryptosomiasis, African sleeping sickness, and it is very, very tightly regulated so you can't just go out to your neighbor pharmacy and get hold of Suramin. Um, we are using it in a research protocol. And Dr. S Dr. Um, Navio recently completed an amazing study of autistic children. This is a pilot project in which 10 children with well-documented autism were uh, utilized. And they were either put in a placebo group or in a treatment group. And the treatment consists of a very short intravenous administration of Suramin. And then they were observed very, very carefully for the next six weeks. The differences in the children that got the Suramin were profound. These are children who were stimming, had tics, couldn't communicate, couldn't make eye contact, had lost their language skills, couldn't communicate. All five of these children, and the videos of these children are available on Dr. Navio's website if you want to see these profound changes. They are indeed amazing. The children who did not get the Suramin had no changes whatsoever. Biochemically, the biochemical changes which Dr. Navio measures in his laboratory um, with a mass spec measurement of, of blood showed a profound shift in their chemistry towards more normal values after the administration of Suramin. So this is a very, very exciting um, time when we may have the opportunity by using purinergic receptor blockers to make a profound change in patients with chronic illness if we time the use of these materials properly. Absolutely, yeah, and that was just a one-off dose, um, as I understand. Um, so that's, for that analogy alarm, would it be like quieting the alarm to allow the, the body to progress to the, you know, the, the next stage of healing? Is that how you sort of uh, put into layman's terms the action of this drug when looking in the context of the cell danger response? Well, let me, let me point out, if I can, the similarity 
between autism, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and neurodegenerative illnesses. Yeah, absolutely. Many, many, many people in the field believe that the same triggers, the same difficulties, be they heavy metal toxicity, be they chemical toxicity, be they infectious agents, or all of the above, these same things affect the body in different ways at different ages. So, and a nervous system is very young and undeveloped as it is in a child. This may turn into what looks like autism. Later on in life, those same insults will turn into what looks like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. Even later in life, this will turn into what looks like neurodegenerative diseases, Parkinson's, ALS, Alzheimer's disease, or multiple sclerosis. So um, what, how this affects us depends partly on the age in which these insults um, come into our body. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So we could have um, similar or the same um, input or toxin or infection, yet different sort of uh, phenotype or disease depending on the context being age and be sex, et cetera. Um, which really, I suppose, questions uh, the old disease model, the, you know, a single specific disease causing a, a single or a, a characteristic set of symptoms for each condition. All right, you mentioned... Okay. Yeah, this, that, that's, that single disease causing agent um, is such an old concept that it really needs to be reworked immediately because what we're looking at these days is so multifactorial that we can no longer think in those terms. Um, when we're dealing, I mean, for example, uh, many years ago, Jacob Teitelbaum, who did a lot of very good research in chronic fatigue, found over 160 different insults that could trigger chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. Now, we even know more now. So to think of, of it as being caused by a virus exclusively or a toxin is is not. The majority of my patients have chemical exposures, mold exposures, um, infections of various sorts, heavy metal toxicity, difficulties with their adrenal, with their thyroid, with um, other hormone systems. Uh, their, their biome is completely dysbiotic and on and on and on. Virtually every system in the body is interwoven and profoundly affected by every other system. And we have got to start thinking of this in a much more comprehensive way, because if you only work on one piece of it, mm. you're not really likely to make any progress. Absolutely. I'm sure many practitioners have been humbled in the past when we've maybe got over fixated on a certain aspect. Um, so I just want to move on to, you mentioned it coupled with autism, um, the chronic fatigue. You've actually been involved with a, uh, Dr. Navio in um, conducting a study on chronic fatigue patients. So can you outline uh, what you did there and what the results were that you discovered? Yeah, of course. You know, I, I, I want to be careful. Perhaps the Australian language is different. I'm not really involved with Dr. Navio. Okay. Um, he's my very good friend, but I don't know that I'd say we're involved. Well, you, um, you did conduct. I'm, 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 I'm teasing you. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I can't. Uh, I get you. Yeah, we, we say mate. 
arm as well, which just means <laughs> buddy over there, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I could not help that. Uh, um, okay, so one of the things that when I first met Dr. Navio, one of our first um, conversations was at that time I was and still am working with a whole lot of patients with chronic fatigue syndrome slash ME fibromyalgia. And uh, Dr. Navio has a fabulous lab, but does not have access to clinical patients the way we do. So we immediately began planning a research study in which we would take um, 20 patients with chronic fatigue that were male, 20 patients that were female, and age and cross-match them to controls and measure the chemistry of all of them to see how it played out. And please understand that Dr. Navio has a unique laboratory in which he can take a single specimen of blood and using a mixture of um, liquid chromatography and mass spec, he can measure over 600 components of the blood with one specimen things that are not found on normal blood testing that you would get from a normal laboratory. So these are not blood tests that most people can get hold of. But by doing it, um, we found profound differences between our patients who had chronic fatigue syndrome and those who were uh, re reportedly normal. I'm not sure what normal means, but we'll work with that. And of particular interest is the chemistry in men was significantly different than the chemistry in women. Uh, you know, we often say that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. This actually proves that there is some truth to that. Um, the, the difference that we discovered in their chemistries was so significantly significant that you could literally take eight specific measurements of eight specific materials and using those criteria alone, you could distinguish them from controls and people with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue with an accuracy of 95%. And using 11 different chemicals in women, even better. Meaning we could stop talking about patients with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia as it being psychological or psychogenic in origin. We can realize, no, no. This is a biochemical deficiency, which we can measure now with great accuracy. So that's one of the first things that's a takeaway from the study that we did. Great. And so that's like the, the metabolome where you've screened just a whole um, number or over 600 potential biomarkers and just looked at what was uh, different compared to um, controls and um, and chronic fatigue sufferers, and, and then you also saw a, a sex difference between males and females. Um, so, yeah, did, what do those um, biomarkers relate to? Mean, um, uh, I'm asking this like just to be mindful that maybe they're just that and biomarkers. Like, perhaps we shouldn't get too hung up on that. This is a certain thing we need to chase down and try and raise or lower just because it's out of range. What's your interpretation of those biomarkers that you uncovered? Well. All of them have to do with signaling molecules that are affected by mitochondria, which totally goes um, 
in accordance with the cell danger response theory. You would expect that. Yes. If the mitochondria are monitoring the body and telling the cell it's in danger, it's also changing metabolism to match that and send signals to other cells throughout the entire body that we have danger here, here's the essence of it, and here's how you need to be reacting to it. So these biomarkers, and you're correct, we call that the metabolome, just a fancy word for all of these 600 different substances that we can measure. The, another important takeaway from that study was that the men and women had in common about 25% of these markers, both men and women both had. But 75% of them were different for every patient. Meaning, this is not the kind of illness in which there is going to be an algorithm. Meaning, we're going to treat everybody the same mm. because all of you have the same uh, metabolic um, imbalances and that allows us to have an algorithm that tells us exactly how to treat everybody in a similar way. Um, au contraire, mm -hmm. that's not the case whatsoever. What's, what we've proved is that, that the differences between each patient who had this were to the tune of 75% of these biomarkers, meaning that we have to figure out for each patient separately which insults, which influences, which toxins, which infectious agents set them off so that we can fix that. And it's not going to be a simple fix of one thing that we can do to help everyone. It's what does this person have? What is unique about their chemistry and their genetics that will allow us to help them recover and return to normal health? Interesting. All right, so let's move on now to how we all put this together because um, in, on one hand, if we're saying that there's this, as you um, poetically said, this um, this biochemical dance, and we it's all in a sense all about timing. Um, some may interpret that as being a bit overwhelmed and start questioning what they have been doing up until now. So, how do we integrate this um, into clinical practice? Um, perhaps people have some you know remedies that up until now have got reasonable success, um, maybe not complete you know resolution of chronic fatigue and so forth, but yeah, with and understand the limitations of clinical practice. We don't have all the, 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 the tools that Dr. Navio possesses. How do we start to integrate this and or at least be mindful of this um, this process going on in our patients, say, for chronic fatigue syndrome? Well, that's a wonderful question. And all of this fabulous research only points us in a direction that we will be going, but we don't know how to do it yet. For example, Dr. Navio's fabulous tests are not available commercially yet. So they're only available on a research basis right now. Um, as his work becomes more and more uh, mainstream, which it is, the cell danger response since its ori original publication in 2013 has been embraced by more and more people on a, on a regular basis as the best explanation of chronic illness and how we need to approach it. Um, we're still in the middle of many, many clinical trials using his laboratory, but those, that information is still a ways 
from ordinary practitioners being able to take it and run with it. It, is, it gives us great hope that in the very near future, we will be able to run these metabolomic patterns and really get a much better idea of how to approach it. But right now, we can't. However, to answer your question perhaps a little better, we still have a model to work with to help all of our chronically ill patients. And at the risk of being self-serving, I want to let your listeners know about several books that I've written Absolutely. that will help them with that. My most recent book is called Toxic, Heal Your Body from Mold Toxicity, Lyme Disease, Multiple Chemical Sensitivities, and Environmental Chemical Exposure. And um, it is a map, if you will, for practitioners and patients about what has made them sick, how do they figure that out, what tests do they need to run, and how do they work towards getting well from it. This particular book is, was particularly written for those patients who are unusually toxic or sensitive, those patients who take a tiny dose of a supplement and um, are non-functional for several weeks. These are patients who take one drop of a homeopathic and are ill for weeks. So for, for those of you out there who are seeing patients like that, this is not psychological. And my book was intended to tell you what to look for and then how to treat it. And uh, spoiler alert, and there is no spoiler alert, the number one and two things that trigger this type of sensitivity is mold toxicity from water-damaged buildings and Bartonella, which is a co-infection of Lyme disease. And there are others, but those are the ones that come right off the top. Now, for those of you who want to pursue a more basic approach, I wrote several books several years ago, one of them called Healing is Possible, in which I review all of the major components to what goes into chronic fatigue syndrome. And many uh, consumers and physicians may find that helpful. But my new book, Toxic, is an update to that, which can help people to understand what they need to be looking at, how they need to make the diagnosis, and what kinds of treatments they should be looking at. Yeah, it sounds like a, a real synthesis of a lot of the um, you know, more complex and, and chronic um, drivers uh, that practitioners are facing today, like like biotoxins and those um, and those stealth infections. Um, I apologise. I've spent most of my time trying to trying to um, understand Dr. Navio's papers, and my intention was to review your book, but I have sort of cursed through it. And um, one thing that struck me was your approach about rebooting. So correct me if I'm wrong, or, um, or please uh, um, clarify. It sense, I sense that your treatment protocols aren't just going in there all the time with like the, I know, the heavy-duty antimicrobials or um, trying to eradicate the biotoxins. It sounds like there's some more subtle um, supporting, I suppose, of your own physiology with this um, concept of rebooting. Um, can you, um, I suppose, confirm or deny that and, and um, clarify? Absolutely. So one, number one, for your listeners, um, there is a whole chapter in my book 
on the cell danger response, which we'll go into it in more detail. And what, one of the things you can think about is the cell danger response as a cellular rebooting. And most of my book is on organ system rebooting. Yeah, how, to re how to reboot the nervous system, how to reboot the gut and the biome, how to reboot the um, immune system, how to reboot the endocrine system. And what we've discovered is the analog of the stuck place that we get into in the cell danger response is a stuck place in the healing response on a total body level. And one of the things we have discovered in treating our patients with mold toxicity, Lyme disease, all kinds of infectious agents, heavy metal toxicity, is that a certain point in the illness, the body gets literally stuck. It is unable to move forward because it feels like it's in danger. And some of the most important aspects of this which require rebooting are the nervous system. To be more specific, when you've been sick for any period of time, typically all of the things that cause these illnesses also cause inflammation of all of these organs. Inflammation being the key, number one, nothing else comes close, underlying theme for all of these illnesses. And inflammation of the nervous system in the brain, for example, particularly causes uh, dysfunction of the limbic system and dysfunction of the vagus nerve and the associated cranial nerves. So if you're going to think about starting to heal someone, even if you know that they have Lyme disease, they may not be able to take or respond to your antibiotics or herbal treatments until you have quieted down this overreactive nervous system. So you need to think about doing strategies to quiet the limbic system. For example, uh, the best of those include a program by Annie Hopper called DNRS, Dynamic Neural um, Retraining. Uh, a similar program by Ashok Gupta called Amygdala Retraining can be es essential in allowing the patient to quiet down enough so you can even get them into treatment. Understanding a concept called polyvagal theory can be extremely important in quieting down the vagus nerve and associated nerves to allow people to heal. The vagus nerve is incredibly important in the entire autonomic nervous system. And in the gut, it controls gut motility. So if your vagus nerve is dysfunctional, you can work on the gut directly until the cows come home, but you may not succeed until you get that vagus nerve rebooted so that peristalsis is restored. And so these are the areas, and this is just a tiny taste of what I've written about and talked about, of things that practitioners need to be thinking about when they are dealing with complicated patients who are not responding as well or as thoroughly as we would hope from typical treatment programs. That's amazing. Um, I think the traditional word would be holistic, uh, or the, the new modern term would be that you really embrace the, the systems biology approach of treating treating patients. It's an amazing synthesis there and a real uh, pragmatic and clinical approach. Of, I'm going to get the book. Um, I really encourage our listeners to, to uh, 
purchase the book and get a better understanding of how you approach clinical practice, particularly understanding these um, these newer areas. And you've you scratched upon some areas I wanted to ask you about, but we're running out of time. Polybagel theory, etc. Might have to um, come back for part two at some stage. Um, Dr. Nathan, I really appreciate your time for uh, sharing your passion and your insights into cell danger response and, and more broadly about patient management. So thank you for your time. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Nathan, for having me. And, and I hope that this information will be of help to your listeners. Absolutely. I'm sure there is. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast. Find us on iTunes and leave a review. Join our practitioner-only Metagenics Facebook group to be informed of new podcast releases, keep up to date with key industry updates, and more. Visit metagenics.com.au to find useful links and resources relating to this podcast, and sign up for our e-newsletter.